Hello and welcome to today's episode of Money Self Made. I'm really excited about this episode. We are featuring job expert Albert Chen and founder and CEO of the 45 thousand member and growing Facebook group, Albert's List. So we are going to get real. We're going to get vulnerable. We're going to talk about our own layoff experiences, how we went through that, how we bounced back. I'm going to reveal how I was able to get in the room on uh, film sets like The Simpsons and Disney. And we're also going to open up about the very surprising skill that you absolutely must cultivate if you want to survive and thrive in today's job market. So without further ado, please welcome Albert. The reason why I'm really excited to speak with you today is I'm doing a series on seven habits to financial freedom or Mm. seven seven steps to financial independence. And the first step uh, is obviously getting out of debt. And I Mm. talked a lot about side hustles. The final step is a lot about sort of investment allocation and how to stay retired if you so choose. But I think the big middle the messy middle between those two stages is very career oriented. Uh, you have to learn how to get in the door, get a job, climb the ladder, negotiate raises. Um, and that was a big part of my life for a long time and a big education I had to go through after college. Yeah. And I love that that's something that you've dedicated yourself to and you are helping people out there get these jobs. So I'd love to know kind of, um, let's talk about Albert's List. I'm yeah. big into how this community got started, but I'm curious, like, why a job group? Yeah, you know, so <clears throat> I started this community uh, eight years ago, uh, this coming March 3rd of 2021, and uh, March 5th, actually. And, uh, and you know, so it's interesting, right, how we look about, look at, uh, look at the world where we are these days, and we're like, oh, we're, you know, in the worst recession ever. And I'm a product of that previous recession, the one that uh, seems a lot much of a smaller deal now, now that we're doing this pandemic thing. And so I started that after, uh, after my, uh, my experience as a new grad coming out of the uh, great recession of 2008, where, uh, you know, for me, it was, uh, it was really hard to find a job. And it's really hard when you not only not know how to find a job, but you also uh, have no idea how to to work your way through an interview um, and you're saying all these stupid things that don't make any sense to the person interviewing you, but they make sense to you. And, you know, really after, uh, you know, you go to college and you realize, you know, hey, you know, there's a lot of things you need to learn here. And so I finally found some footing in my own career. And I was like, you know, I keep getting job, uh, job listings from people. And so I'm just going to create a Facebook group and just dump it all here. And maybe I could help someone. And so for for me, starting this group and starting this business was never really uh, meant to really not never meant to happen. Um, it's one of these very accidental ventures that went from, oh, you know, if this ever gets to like 3000 people, that's cool. And today it's 15 times that size. And we've got like 45,000 people in our Bay Area community where I met you. And in total, like 51,000, if you consider our Sacramento area, Southern California and Texas communities, um, which uh, which add up to quite a few. And so really, 
uh, it just started by way of uh, of wanting to give back. And, uh, you know, the other story I like to tell, which makes it even 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 more interesting and maybe funny for a lot of people, is that Albert's List originally started as a breakup project. And so uh, I had broken up with my ex, I think, in 2012, or she broke up with me, rather. And I think I was just in a search for, like, meaning, right? You know, you, you, you ask, you know, what is the world? What is life after, after you know, traumatic events like that? And so it kind of, I kind of just threw myself into trying to connect with people professionally because I was so messed up personally. And so that's, uh, that's how that community also became to be. And it was just a way to give away uh, safe pieces of myself without getting heartbroken. And so, um, you know, so eight years on, it's definitely taken a much a different impression to it. I think it's, uh, it's definitely a privilege to be at the center of many people's job searches because it's one of those things where, and, you know, I think we've all felt like this at some point in our lives where you feel like you're so alone when you're jobless. Everyone else looks like, seems like they have a job. Everyone else seems like they have it together. They're making good money. And, you know, for people to come to my, my community specifically, and I hope they're not just coming to my community, but for them to come and spend significant amount of time in my community, commenting, contributing, helping others, and even just inviting me and 45,000 other people into their job search is an absolute honor because it just, uh, it's, uh, it's such a vulnerable time in people's lives. And so what's started out as heartbreak has turned into a life purpose for me because it offers me the chance to give back to people, to connect people to interesting news and insights. And uh, really, I think the other piece we don't have when we go and come out of college is understanding the state of the job market and all the intricate pieces that drive the job market too. And so being able to share that with people is also a really, really great benefit and something that I enjoy doing too. So that's, uh, that's the really, really, I guess, much longer story of it, but that's, that's, that's how it's come to be and where we're at. That's a beautiful story. I love the way you tie that back to a bigger purpose and you rose like a phoenix from the ashes of a breakup. So epic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's cool. I love it. So, I mean, as somebody who's probably seen a lot of people go through job searches, mm-hmm. I want to ask you like the biggest disaster story or the the biggest success story, but I want to start by saying like if you're a new grad right now, you're just entering the job market, you're you're out of high school or college, what are five tips that you would give somebody or three, you know, 3 to 10 tips that somebody mm-hmm. should start? to get their job search rolling and set them up for success? Yeah, I would say the first piece is to understand who you are and what it is that you want. The biggest mistake I made coming out of college was just thinking like, oh, you know, I have this college degree now, this fancy piece of paper that I and my parents paid thousands of dollars for, and now I'm entitled to a job. And the fact is that you're not. Uh, you're really not entitled to anything upon graduation uh, before or after for that fact. And you really have to do and sit down and understand and reflect upon who it is you are and what it is that you want. Finding a job for the sake of the job, the sake of a job is going to land you in a lot of really interesting places. And most of the time, it's probably not going to land you in the place that you want. Now, it's not to say that new graduates should go out and, um, sell themselves short. 
that's definitely not the case either. But it's to understand, you know, what's, what are you passionate about? What are the values that you hold dear and close to yourself every single day that help you get through the day and what it is that you believe? And so that would be, I think, my first tip. My second tip is to understand the role of how everything works along in business. I think 10 years in, I'm still learning about how everything works and just still even discovering along the way. And so I talk about this in one of my presentations that I often give in front of job search groups called Understanding What's at Stake. Because a lot of the time we go into our job searches and go into our careers in general, being told that we need to think about ourselves, we need to negotiate for the highest salary, uh, we need to do really good work, and then hopefully we'll get noticed and then we can move forward. But what the real thing is, and this is over several years of really understanding what it is that job seekers uh, should be doing is knowing what is at stake for not only you, but also the people that you work with, your colleagues, your bosses, the company, your customers, what analysts think of you, and so much more. And being able to model and form your interview questions to answer those questions effectively and meaningfully. And then also to be able to, uh, also to be able to show that you've done your homework. Because not a lot of people do their homework and not a lot of people do their homework very well. And so if you're able to articulate your employer's problems better than they can articulate them to you, because they're going to do that at the beginning of the interview, then you're doing a lot better than 80% of job seekers that show up to that table. A lot of people just simply don't know, like, why their job exists in the first place. And, you know, that's the first, that's, that's sort of a corollary to capitalism where it's like, a company exists to make profit and to really uh, make sure that its margins are as big as possible. And so the job that most of us are going to be taking on is uh, it, it, gener it generally speaking, like most people don't want that job to exist, especially the people who are counting the numbers and the executives up top who want more out of their paychecks and their bonuses. And so you have to understand, like, why does that job exist in the first place? How does me sitting in that seat in that office what is that going to do to make me, it's going to do to make the company a lot more effective and a lot more interesting. Uh, and then the third piece of advice that I guess I would give is, um, let me think here. So uh, I, I would say that those are the first two pieces of advice that I would give. I, there's probably a lot more swimming in my mind here that I'm trying to organize as I speak to you. But those are the first two biggest pieces of advice that I would give, mostly because uh, once you're able to reflect upon yourself and once you're able to understand what other people want, it kind of just ties it together and the rest is just kind of administrative work as you go along. Yeah, yeah. I guess what I'm, that's an interesting perspective. I kind of always, um, I always, I've been in marketing, so I've always been highly aware of sort of the bottom line that I'm contributing to. But I've also noticed that sometimes uh, companies who aren't as focused on that bottom line or are more successful. So I like the alignment of values. Definitely. Like I think if you're creating value, the profits will come. Um, and I'd like to also think of it in terms of the fact that money is a lot of people like to chase money. Right. And mm. I know the title of your podcast and your community is money self-made where money yeah. is a goal. And, and I want to also make the point that um, money, while it definitely should be a goal, is actually a result of the value that you create. Mm. 
And so the more value you create for others, whether it's creating something for free or whether it's somewhere down deeper on that funnel and you're really, really changing someone's life, the money that they pay you is going to be representative of how you changed their life or how you made their life better or how you made their life different. And so when you get that $10,000 check, that $3,000 paycheck every couple of weeks, it's indicative of the time that you invested that you put in. And it is the result of what somebody thinks that you've done as a result of a good job. I like that. So in terms of the interview process, obviously it's great to define your values as well as understand what profitability and value you're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there, I I also love the idea of researching a company. I think that's really key as well. Uh, Research the people you're interviewing with. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some other just interview tricks, tips, hacks, resume tricks, tips, hacks, that kind of thing that you think will kind of like make, give them that edge when they're in the room or, or trying to get someone to give them an interview call? Yeah. So I have three ideas on this. And so the first thing I want to talk about is, uh, is to uh, understand the, uh, your ability to tell a story, right? So as marketers, as people who run our own businesses, it's important to be able to tell that story and share what it is that you're doing. And a lot of people go into interviews and they're like, oh, you know, I, um, I went here to this company and I did that and that's it. And so what a lot of hiring managers want to not only hear is that you did those things, but why you did those things, what was the context as to what you did those things, and what was the whole purpose of it. They want to be drawn into the work that you've done, and they want to see why it drives your motivation and why it drives your passion. Because anyone can put together a white paper, anyone can put together a social media campaign, anyone can put together TPS reports, they can put together this month's finances, etc., But there's a reason as to why all of that stuff happens and why all of that stuff matters. And so you have to explain to your employer why any of this stuff matters at the end of the day. The second thing that I would talk about is uh, being able to, what's the word here? I'm literally putting a presentation together on this. And so I'm just trying to think out of off the top of my head, the points that I'm putting together here. And so the second piece that I would talk about is your ability to, play the game in your favor. A lot of interviews, they're going to go in, they're going to ask you the typical questions, what your biggest strength and your weaknesses, why you left your last job. And a lot of this stuff is actually filler in between the really good stuff, which is you being able to tell your story and share what it is that you care about. And so being able to reduce your risk and uh, increase your upside is a really big piece of an interview in a job interview that you have to do. Obviously, if you were laid off from a company, you were laid off from a company, but you're never going to tell your your hiring manager that you were laid off. You're going to tell them that the company went in a different direction and they made some changes and you were unfortunately a part of those changes. And so being able to articulate yourself as somebody who may have gone through something, but that something was not necessarily all yours and speak strategically to that is really important. The third thing that I would say is important to really communicate and articulate as you go on that job search and are in those interviews is something that I've seen a ton since COVID-19 began. So when COVID-19 began in March here in the United States, uh, Albert's List pivoted to this virtual event model. And over the last 
10 months, we've done a lot of mock interviews uh, with, uh, with, our, with our staff members. We've done a lot of resume reviews. And the one thing that really stands out to me over this course of time is how many people sell themselves short. And it's both interesting, frustrating, and infuriating because there are a lot of people doing a lot of great work out there today but you would never know the difference because they've never mentioned it in their interviews and they don't know how to talk about it. And they also don't talk about it on their resume. It's hidden behind really, really long paragraphs that don't make any sense. It's hidden behind really long answers that don't really get to the point. And all of it just kind of amounts to somebody selling themselves short. And that's why people don't get jobs that they really, really want because they go into the interview and Obviously, we all go into our interviews and we think we did a fantastic job when really all we did was just spout nothing but hot air for a good hour and a half. And so the ability to look back at your accomplishments and reflect, which is what I answered within your previous question, to understand what it is that you've done and done really well, and then put that from your mind to paper or to your verbalization is a really big piece of landing your next client, landing your next job, so that you can put yourself and your best foot forward, right? We talk about living our best life, not selling yourself short. Not selling yourself short is a definite example of being able to live your best life. That is great advice. I can so get on board with that. And I think we all do that. We don't recognize um, the great work that we've done and we sell ourselves short. I struggle with this myself. But one way that I've learned to combat it is I started my own website and any piece of work I make, I just throw it up there, even if it's not my best example, so that potential employers can dig through it. And hopefully like the work is visual and it speaks for itself. I take a screenshot of it or a link to it. So that's a way that you can kind of develop your trophy case of career wins I would say we're just told to be so humble growing up you know Mm. and that that stuff it gets it we we get to this point where we think we have to be humble a hundred percent of the time and then it costs us our dream job it costs us our chance at that client it costs us our chance at getting the meeting with that person you know we've all probably at some point done this thing where somebody calls us up and they want to talk to us about a business opportunity and we, you know, talk ourselves out of it. Right. And so people do this with themselves all day long on their LinkedIn profiles, their resumes, their websites, et cetera, and what have you. And, and, you know, having read so many of these resumes, watched so many people do mock interviews, you know, everyone from people who have bachelor's degrees from great universities, all the way up to PhDs, you know, not be able to articulate themselves in the way that helps them stand out. It makes your heart break because it's like, you know, here are people who are probably smarter than me, at least, you know, they, they've gotten a degree that allows them to go out and, you know, make the materials that this laptop are, are made out of, or what our headphones are made out of, or even, you know, the, the soft fibers in the couch behind you. And, you would never know that they're able to do any of these things because their resume doesn't articulate that correctly. And that's talent that's sitting on the sidelines with potential yet to be realized that may never yet be realized and will never get to enjoy the fruits of their genius. And that actually makes me really mad. I love that passion, and I have to say something that I discovered recently. I'm writing a thriller novel about Ooh. murder in the workplace. I love, oh my I love this book. I can't <laughs> wait to publish it. Um, but I was doing research, and actually, first of all, I shouldn't get into the statistics about 
coworker on coworker murder, but they're very fascinating. They're higher than they should be. However, mm-hmm. okay, I think this is really important. I mean, that hey, everyone... you spend forty hours a week with somebody. <laughs> I, sometimes, sometimes you run across people that you probably do want to just strangle and say, "How come you can't get this project to me sooner?" <laughs> yes, this that happens more than you would think, actually. Uh, thus, the inspiration for this novel. But also, okay, so here's something that I think is really critical: sociopaths interview very well, and that is why they're getting like these jobs and getting to the top of the ladder and then of course making sort of insensitive decisions about the you know what what will happen for earnings or or that kind of thing and I think that's problematic and, and it's a shame like I think if companies could look deeper or try to find that talent right because if somebody isn't talking themselves up in that interview if they're trying to be humble maybe they're a team player maybe they're an introvert and I totally agree with you I saw often I've worked in many environments I've saw a lot of people who um had you know know a bit like they were great at talking themselves up but maybe there wasn't as much there as somebody else who would be more shy i'd say being a good business person you know requires a lot of that self-reflection where you know i know like look when it comes to the job interview uh, i know that you have to say some things a certain way and maybe that makes that that that's where a moment where you have to engage in some of that sociopathic element but that shouldn't become your persona (laughs) so yeah yeah, it's definitely interesting. I, I like that, though. I would love to, like, throw it on the company to maybe do a little bit deeper digging instead of it being mm-hmm. sort of just this first impression hour of, like, who can talk talk the most or talk the best. And that's the challenge, too, because you have a lot of, like, the people who know that this stuff is important are your recruiters. The people who don't know this well are the people who are making the hiring decisions at the end of the day. If I'm a hiring manager at the end of the day, I just need somebody qualified to come in through the door who can say what I want to hear and they can hopefully start immediately and then help complete and check off the checkboxes. If I'm on the other hand, a recruiter, I want someone to fit this culture. I want somebody who um, can present who I can present to the hiring manager in the best light. And so because what's at stake for both sides is a lot different, if you have this bigger gap between what HR wants and what the hiring manager wants, you're probably going to end up attracting an, an applicant who gets the offer who may not necessarily, I guess, have the right personality fit, but at least they'll get your stuff done. And a lot of hiring decisions these days are, I needed that person yesterday. And so when you're coming from this perspective of needing that person yesterday, your chances of making that right decision diminish significantly. And so it is thus up to the person who's looking for the job to do a lot of this work up front so that the people who are interviewing them don't necessarily have to draw it out of them because they're not thinking about drawing it out of them. But, you know, every once in one, every now and again, you have a, uh, you have a, you have a hiring manager or an HR person who challenges the job seeker and says, I know that's not all of you right there right now. Having seen your resume, talked to you for the last 15 minutes and looked at your LinkedIn and heard about what you are. There, there's something more to you here and I'm going to figure out what that is. We don't have enough of those people in this world and we definitely need more of those people. So beautiful. So well put. I like that. Maybe I'll go into that career and see if I can dig deeper. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that goes back to the whole selling yourself short, right? And it's one of these things where uh, a lot, like a lot of things in life, if you, you're not the one out there 
telling people that you're the one who is the person for the job, then no one's ever going to know it. Mm. And, and, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of professionals out there living dreams of quiet desperation right now because they wish somebody would know. And the only way they could get out of that is by stepping out and saying, okay, I'm tired of being quiet. Here's what makes me amazing. And here's why you need to hire me already. Beautiful. I love that. I mean, that's, I think, something that's really critical, right? So there's sort of the three stages that you have to really stand out. There's sort of that resume stage where you're Mm -hmm. like throwing resumes against the wall and hoping someone calls you. Then, of course, there's the original call with a hiring man or usually with, you know, a gatekeeper of some kind, like HR. Hopefully you don't even need to throw that resume against the wall because you have somebody internally who can speak on your behalf, right? Okay, We live in one of the most competitive job markets right now because there are so many people unemployed. And so if you're able to find somebody in that company who can champion for you, you can go past that entire resume issue and somebody can instead say, hey, I know Annalise, I know Albert, I know somebody who can fit this role and they're they're good qualified for this role because of the following things. And a hiring manager is always going to listen more to a person on their team who can speak on behalf versus going out and just hitting up dozens of strangers to see who fits. I love that. Okay, cool. I mean, that's just right there a great tip because I've always done it kind of the resume way. And then I've done it that way too, but yeah, I'm trying to transition to, you know, being able to ask for help. And, you know, that's another big thing, right? Is asking for help is something that we also don't do very well because, Uh, We all think that doing it on our own is the way to go when it's not. I like that a lot. So that's where I always get stuck. And I'm sure a lot of people get stuck as well. There's pride, there's ego, and then there's just not wanting to hassle somebody, right? So like, let's say I know Bob and Bob works at... um, Toys R Us, if that was still a company, and I yeah. really want to get hired there. And how can I t- reach out to Bob, who I haven't talked to since college or, you know, in the last five years since we worked together uh, in a non-awkward way that could be effective for everybody? Yeah, you always you always look for the win-win opportunity. Bob probably has a referral bonus that he'll probably get if he hires you. And Bob, you know, knowing that this is on LinkedIn, is probably open to hearing from people that he's connected with in the past. And so if you want to, you always look at places where you can connect with somebody, whether it's the same school that you went to, whether you share a favorite sports team, uh, maybe you and Bob grew up in the same state, in the same city, in the same county, and there's something to relate with on that. And so... Uh, Much like how Stephen Covey talks about in the seven habits of highly effective people that, you know, you need to be interested in other people. This is that very element in play right here where you go and you relate with other people on something that, you know, they probably know something about would be happy to discuss and Based on building that rapport, then you can go into that next step. And, you know, LinkedIn is kind of all about that because people do understand, like, you know, I'm here for business and I'm here for work. And sometimes occasionally I might meet people who want to talk to me about specific things such as that. I really like that. That's, of course, right. Like, that's what LinkedIn is for. Um, Yeah. yeah, What if I was raised in the middle of nowhere? Um, Guam and I want to get into a new industry and I want to get into a job. So I don't know any Bobs that are working, you know, like my peer group or people that Mm -hmm. are, we'll say, I don't know, farmers, but I want to go be in, uh, tech. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And, you know, over the last 10 years, I thought, you know, like if I were to start over and someone were to knock me upside the head and I were to wake up in five years and have to start all over again and figure out how to do this whole thing, what exactly would I do in terms of all of my next steps to get into, like, say, a new industry? Say, say I was knocked upside the head and right now I'm a marketer and a writer and I woke up in five years and I could do nuclear physics like the back of my head because somehow that place in my brain was just activated. Where would I go and what would I do? And, and the first thing I think about that is, okay, maybe I don't know anybody. And so what do you do, right? It's, uh, it's, the, it's the thing that everybody loves to hate and that's going out and networking. And so I would probably go and look up different uh, different trade associations. I would look up events to go to and just start talking to people and going down that rabbit hole. Because even if the person you talk to in an event doesn't know somebody, it can always end up being, well, do you know somebody who does this? And, you know, that's going into second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth degree connections. And you end up in this spot that uh, and you end up in the spot where, you know, you're maybe in a room that you never thought that you would be in. And it's all pretty great because you're now having a conversation with somebody that you never expected to. And it kind of becomes that choose your own adventure game, which can get pretty fun after a while. I dig that. I dig that a lot. Um, yeah, you know, I found my Simpsons script last night from when I worked on the Simpsons and it felt like such oh, a, wow. <laughs> yeah, it felt like such a blast from the past. And, you know, a lot of people would think that you would need to know somebody, et cetera, uh, if you want to get into the film industry, which I managed to do. But I'll tell you how I did it, which is I got mm-hmm. really into manifestation, which is a whole nother topic. But I listened to a lot of motivational like songs that would get me pumped yeah. um, and I would visualize. So that was the first thing. And it sounds so cheesy and woo woo and corny. But um, I visualized a film producer calling me up and hiring me. And that is what happened the next day. Uh, film producer who's my great friend and mentor now her name is julie pfeiffer and mm-hmm. she called me up and put me on a film set but the real secret the real trick that i figured out um thanks to many blogs on the internet i was reading at the time was to work for free and i may have done this a little bit too much i may have undervalued myself but it did work so i got to la went on craigslist replied to some ads that were hiring um production. I would say in some industries, that's okay, because in the movie industry, in the entertainment industry, a lot of folks start out, you know, giving, getting coffee, and then they move up once they show that there's that level of dependability, because there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to filming a movie, a TV show, and et cetera, what have you. And so if you're coming in with zero experience, you need to show that you're dependable. And then once you show that you're dependable, they can give you more and more stuff. In a lot of similar ways, this is how it works in uh, both the profession, in the professional world too. In tech, if you want to break into tech, go and get yourself a contract job at a Cisco, a Google, a Facebook. Once you show that you're capable of what you're doing, you move on to a better paying contract or you move into a startup that's willing to pay you those full-time dollars plus the benefits for you to really showcase who you are. I love that. That's really wise. I agree with that strategy and approach. And it's amazing too. I mean, the first films that I worked on for free, that happened to be the person who was the casting um, person on The Simpsons. And then she brought me in as a temp, just like you said. So I yeah. think that that's a really good in. Um, one... So you have your own IMDb profile and all that stuff now, huh? I do. Yeah, I do. It's so weird because it was like uh, 
you know, years ago I switched over to tech and then, yeah. uh, yeah. So I'm glad with that decision, but I miss it. It was a lot of fun. I worked yeah. at Disney for a while and, um, yeah, mm. it, was, it was great. I worked on Frozen, Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got to meet John C. Riley. I heard that song that everyone's annoyed with, like, way uh, before anyone else heard it. <laughs> oh, wow. So I was wow. sick of it first. Uh, that's what I'm going to say. No, it's a great song. I still listen to it in the shower. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> but anyway, so I digress. Uh, but yeah, so okay, let's talk about actual corporate environments and corporate culture and cor- and fits. And I would love to know kind of, I think there's a lot of people that are maybe in a job that isn't right for them. They mm-hmm. might be thinking about transitioning, um, but they're afraid, obviously, especially at times like this to get back out in the job market. What would you advise to those people in terms of making a career shift or change? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in, during these times, I've heard from recruiters on Albert's List that uh, it is not the time to actually doing do a career switch because so many people are out of work from all the industries that exist out there. So not only are you going to be competing with people who do have the experience already, uh, you're also going to be at the very, very end of that line because they realize, okay, you're a marketer, you want to be an accountant, Um I already have 15 accountants who I'm working with and you're the accountant with no experience. And so how is that going to end up working very well? It's generally not. And so if you're looking for a job switch, it's always interesting during at least uncertain times like this to look for those transition type skills that you have where you can slowly say move from perhaps if you're marketing, doing marketing at a SaaS company right now, you can go and do marketing for an accounting firm and then you can go and become an accountant kind of switching by that way as you do your CPA on the side. And so doing one of these extreme switches where you want to be where you're a marketer today, for example, and you want to be an accountant tomorrow is usually not the best choice because it's just uh, it's just that 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 ability to move is just not like there. Uh, I would say from a cultural perspective. So if you're at a company and you're feeling like you're not part of that culture, there are plenty of companies out there that are looking for different kinds of talent. And so it's important for you to probably be able to go and understand and reflect a word that I'm going to use a lot and understand who it is that you really, really want to work with. With everybody being remote right now, it's probably a little less important that you be a quote unquote cultural fit since what people are doing in the office is not necessarily ongoing. But I would also say there's always... Uh, methods and opportunities and ways for individuals to be when it comes to being in that office. I think a, I think default cultural fit should be an individual who's open to learning, somebody who's willing to collaborate with others, somebody who's a good listener or at least willing to listen, and somebody who carries with them a set of a bit of resilience, right? Because corporations are always changing on a quarterly basis. There are always layoffs, reorgs, and what have you. And so being able to sit comfortably within all of that is probably table stakes. I really like that a lot. That's true. That's very true. That's a great recommendation for culture. And then in terms of just really impressing people when you actually do get in the door, do you have any recommendations for the first 10 days, 30 days, 90 days? Um, I know this obviously will depend according to industry and profession, Mm -hmm. but anything that you can really stand out and impress? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's the willingness and openness to just jump in and get started. Um, Obviously, the first couple of days are going to be a bit harrowing because you're there for the very first time. But being able to demonstrate that sense of curiosity, jump in, 
be interested, and then have a few couple of early wins under your belt, no matter how big or small they might be. You know, you could even finish your onboarding by the end of the first week. And that would be considered a win because it shows that you can get stuff done and you can build upon that confidence to get towards uh, where you ultimately want to be, which is succeeding at your work. Um, and so now those first, those first 90 days uh, really are about getting to know who it is that you're working around. It's getting to know the industry that you're working in understanding all the resources and tools that are available to you to get those things done, and then being able to meet other people and listen to what those people have to say. Because during your interview process, right, you mention you, you always, you know what it is that is at stake for all the people that you're working with. They've already communicated or you've asked that out. You know what your colleagues want. You know what your boss wants. You know where that company is headed. And so now as you formulate that 30-day, 60, 90-day plan, you're figuring out how you now executionally at least fit within that. And so now you're going to go and you're going to find the projects, you're going to do the work duties that are expected of you and fit yourself as much to the direction of that company so that when it comes to your annual review or your 90-day review, they're going to keep you and they're going to see that you're, you're valuable and they're going to either expand your role or they're going to promote you. I love that. Yep. Some great advice I got from a coworker once was to keep a wins folder. Mm-hmm. And I always do that at every job. Just every time something goes even slightly well, take a screenshot and stick it in that folder. And then I would present that to my manager every time uh, it would come time to maybe look at a raise or a promotion. And it worked quite well. Uh, also, you know, if you're in a role where you can tie direct revenue to what you're doing and show numbers for that, that's really key. They like to see that yeah. kind of measurement. In terms of people who are looking to get more education right now, I know that this is a common time for that. You know, if Mm -hmm. if you're unemployed, it might be time to up those skills. What are some skills that you would recommend people learn that will really give them an advantage? So this is always an interesting question because every single year we hear about how coding, 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 STEM, STEM, STEM is the most important type of skill that you ought to learn. And really what it is at the end of the day is that all of those skills are uh, gateways and vehicles to being able to uh, help a company get to somewhere new. In reality, the skills that everyone ought to be learning and ought to be mastering are all the skills that you see in the communication space. It's being able to communicate clearly with others. It's being able to negotiate. It's being able to conflict manage. And ultimately, maybe the best skill of all is your ability to be able to listen. It's important for your personal relationships, which I'm sure, you know, for both of us, we're in relationships and being able to listen to your partner is key. Being able to listen to your customers and hear what they want so you can go and create what they want is important. And being able to listen to your colleagues and hear what their standards and expectations for what they want is also important because you not only making them look good is good for them, but it's also really great for you. And so I would say it's, there's nothing bad about going out and learning how to code, learning data science, learning DevOps, learning about the cloud. All of those things are here. They're here to stay. And they all definitely matter at the end of the day. But the only way that those things get any staying power is because there was somebody out there at some point in the past 10 years who was saying, hey, check out the cloud. It's a lot cheaper. Hey, check out data science. It's a way to you know, not have data analysts anymore coming through Excel and having someone else to do it for you. And so being able to articulate and communicate and work on all of those is 
a lot more important than I think being able to learn a coding skill because coding skills come and go, right? HTML, building a really, really easy website on Microsoft front page was the thing 15 years ago. Now you can spin up a web page really easily. Today, it's data science. I, I would say in 15 to 20 years, data science technologies are going to be so cheap that, you know, an everyday Joe is going to be able to go through their credit card history and be able to see everything that they spent on and have that all visualized, that they won't even need to know how to use an Excel spreadsheet. But what you will need to know in 20, 25 years still is the ability to speak publicly, speak clearly, communicate to your friends, your neighbors, your spouse, your coworkers, your colleagues. And that's always going to be out there because you're always going to have to be selling yourself, always going to have to be closing as a salesperson, um, always going to have to be negotiating with others. And so if for nothing else, if you want to go and learn how to be one of those better communicators, joining a Toastmasters group is probably the most important thing you could do for yourself today. I love that. Or you can start a podcast and record yourself speaking to other people That's to exactly improve. It. Yeah. Maybe yeah. someone who's on this podcast thought of that. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a degree in communication, so I, I can get on board yeah. with this. I'm very excited because my whole career yeah. I've been like, oh, I wish we I laugh at communications majors, right? But, <laughs> yeah. And and I I remember as a business major how so many of us laughed at those management classes we took because we're like, oh, management, it's an easy A. But you realize 10 years on that that management class, whether it's understanding the cultural differences between how do you do business in Asia versus North America, or how do you handle when somebody tries to argue with you and the types of arguments they're throwing at you, or the ethics of business, those all loom way larger than understanding what JavaScript language is really hot right now. I like that. I like that a lot. Actually, I mean, from a personal question, I just have to ask you, because this is something I've found treacherous in navigating the waters of corporate America, but -hmm. basically discovering that fine line when you should be sort of gung-ho taking action or when it's time to kind of sit back. Um, I know that like in some roles, people... I you know, very large corporations, they want you to really do as little as possible and swim in your lane. Other Mm -hmm. times you're supposed to make yourself irreplaceable and, you know, go out there and like try to get extra credit. So how would you recommend sort of navigating those terms in corporate America or jobs in general? Well, you know, I think that when it comes to that at the end of the day, it's always, you're always going to get further leaving everything on the field or at your desk or on the laptop than you did by not doing anything. And so it's always better to have tried than not try at all. And, and I get, and I understand that you have a lot of companies that want you to stay in their lane, but even if you're in that lane, these lanes can be pretty big. There are always new things to do. There are always new places to uh, really, you know, garner insight into. And so if you ever feel like you're bored at work, there's probably something that's still left to learn and you should be going out to go and learn that. And there's always an endless amount of that at any company of any size. Companies don't just get started because somebody wants a hobby unless it's a lifestyle business like what you and I do with our own companies to some effect. So for those who are out there and professionals in our board, if you feel like you've stopped learning, I would say that there's that, that you definitely haven't stopped learning yet and that there's still a lot more work to do and that you need to go out and find whatever that might be. 
I so agree with you. I love that. And when it comes to just kind of navigating, do you have any, like, again, people skills? Do you have mm-hmm. any off the top of your head management or people skills or negotiation resources that somebody could go out and learn that? You know, I've, uh, I, I, I've had a LinkedIn learning subscription for the last... I would say two years almost now. And so I listen to a lot of LinkedIn learning in the background while I work. And so I would say that's a good piece and place to go. Uh, I would say reading books like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, Compelling People among all these different books and listening to podcasts that are associated with that can help you get closer to that as well. Uh, and then, uh, and then you know, going out into the field and practicing. Right now, obviously, we're socially distanced. But when we're not, we're not socially distanced anymore. Or when you're just on Zoom and you're networking with people one on two, one on five, one on six, it's an opportunity to listen and communicate effectively because you have that opportunity to listen and listen to people as they talk. And so, I would recommend that it's a combination of both reading and then also uh, also listening and listening a lot more than you speak. I think one of my favorite listening tips that I've picked up is count to five when mm-hmm. someone is done speaking to make sure they're finished or maybe they'll continue to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a course that I love on negotiation is, have you tried Masterclass? I kind of binged it at the beginning of 2020 yeah. lockdown, but uh, Chris Voss, if you haven't read mm-hmm. his book or taken Never his course, yes, yeah, he did a yeah. course in like negotiation and what he talked about in his book just clicked in the masterclass because you got to see him do real life examples of it. And I really like what you say. There's not only the research and learning part of it, but there's the taking yeah. action where you have to do the real life uh, work. So I, I really like that as a resource. And I, yeah. you know what I really find interesting about you and what I think is really cool is you are sort of a business owner, your personality, uh, you have, you know, you are Albert, your presence, but then you also have a day job a lot of times. Do you have one right now? I do. I do. How do you figure out those two identities and how does your work feel about that? Do you have to negotiate that at all? Uh, Not necessarily. So I I work at a Bay Area company in the software space selling or marketing HR software. And a lot of that blends in with what I do at Albert's List because it's interesting to see how we position what HR leaders want on a year-to-year basis. And that's information that I can pass back to the job seekers that I also serve on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Since I'm not creating software for HR, there's not really any of that conflict over there. And I think what also really helps is that we're all working remote right now. One of the benefits of working remote and uh, being at home for the last 10 months is just the level of flexibility. Five o'clock hits, I can transition easily from one business to another without having to walk out of my office, go to my car, sit in my commute for 20 minutes, and then go home. Um, Being able to just have that seamlessness is really, really cool. And so there's not really been any conflict. And um, yeah, not at all. That's great. Yeah, there's never been like a disclosure agreement where you had to let no. let them know or oh, that's awesome. And uh, you don't worry. It is like prominently listed on my LinkedIn. If anyone had any questions, <laughs> they're always welcome to ask. That's awesome. I've spent like some time being really paranoid that if I worked for mm-hmm. like if I did a side hustle while at a company, I'd be liable. I don't know. There's a lot of that, but now I realize that was all silly, and I should have just been upfront about it. <laughs> right. So. Right. Yeah. 
Very cool. So I love, okay, so before I start asking you about how you built your community, I also have to ask networking. Networking is a huge thing. Thank goodness we've got Zoom and LinkedIn. Um, But how does one approach networking in 2020 or 2021 during a lockdown? Yeah, so uh, all of our events are virtual these days, so it's likely you'll be doing a lot of your events over something like a Zoom or a WebEx or something like that. And I think one of the one of the big things about that is being able to listen and being able to uh, really also be very proactive about your networking, whether it's being able to flag somebody down over chat, uh, put yourself out there and be that uh, passive marketer where you're putting your LinkedIn and your contact information so people can reach out to you. All of those are really important, I think, in being able to uh, stand out. And then also finding relevant networking events. One of the things that I would say that I discovered early on in my career that was a big mistake was just going to a networking event for the sake of a networking event. I was uh, just looking to make sense of what networking was at the time. And so it makes sense that I did it, but I wouldn't recommend it for anyone else because it cost me probably about five years of my professional life. And so now, you know, I network in pretty much one of maybe like three places. Either it's an Albert's List event, it's an event focused on marketing, or it's an event that a friend has put on and I'm there to support. And so I won't try to wander out of those lines if I can help it, because it's not a very good use of my time. I like that. I agree. I completely, I I spun my wheels for a really long time in San Francisco, just going to all of these events and wearing myself out and exhausting Mm -hmm. myself. So yeah, Yeah. especially if you're an introvert, you have to preserve that. But how do you know, like why market? And I would say that, you know, saying to other people, I'm just here to meet people is also no longer a good response, right? We know that when it comes to marketers these days, we're all trying to specifically target. So in a lot of ways, Trying to find the right networking event is like creating a good Facebook ad. You have to decide what it is that your budget is. You have to figure out what it is that your audience likes because you like those things too. And you want to attract those people. And so that's how you're going to go and find that networking event. I know I've been to a lot of events in my in my time where I and other people have said, oh, I'm just here to meet people tonight. I'm, you know, just just want to go out, get out and see people. And while I understand that, you know, there are people who literally want to go and do that, um, it's not necessarily a good use of your time either because it's not going to let you, uh, it's not going to let you reach the level of potential that you want to be at. Yeah, that makes total sense. Do you have any way of sort of uh, rising the cream to the top when you try to uncover networking events? Uh, Yeah, so... I would say so because I work in marketing, um, I'm first and foremost looking at what's available to me by way of the many different resources that I follow. So as a writer, I follow marketing profs. And every time they have an open house, I buy myself a course because I'm interested to see what they have going on. Then I'm following what you see from, like, say, the American Marketing Association, uh, from the different meetup groups that I'm in. And if I have time to join those, I join those. And then occasionally uh, occasionally catching up with uh, people that I see online and what they're talking about. I think, I think the interesting thing is also getting caught up in all that stuff is also not, 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 health, not the most healthiest thing at all either. Because I know, especially as marketers, we have the we have the habit of over-marketing ourselves to the point where we're not necessarily sharing tips and tricks as much as it's just a complete, um, a complete circle jerk of just marketers giving other marketers kudos for what they're doing. And so I, 
suspect that this goes on in many different industries where say even if you are a nuclear physicist going into a nuclear physicist conference or a networking event you would meet other nuclear physicists who would be giving kudos as well and so you really have to separate i would say the fat from the healthy stuff because sometimes if you get caught up too much in wanting to get different tips and tricks you lose out on the actual tips and tricks and all you're really end, end up ending up with is a lot of hot air and not really a lot of value if you get to take home back into your career i completely i love that that's hilarious i agree yeah that's tricky it's really tricky do you have um like a networking event that you can point to where you met somebody and it kind of changed your career course a little or a lot for example a mentor yeah, I would say so. So uh, this was actually a very general networking event that I went to about seven years ago. Uh, I went to the Art of Active Networking in San Francisco, uh, formerly held by Mark Sackett. I don't think he's doing those anymore because of COVID. And so it was October 1st of 2013, about seven, eight months after I started Albert's List. And so I met a mentor there who is actually now an advisor to Albert's List. He and I talk professionally and personally about many different things going on in my life. And he's been a valuable addition because he's taught me how to uh, communicate and communicate effectively and clearly in terms of being able to get uh, what I want and what I need. That's awesome. I love that. I'm actually looking for um, a business coach slash advisor mm-hmm. right now. So if you know of anybody, I'm open. You can think. Yeah, always, that. always happy to, always happy to drive, uh, drive those networking connections. Yeah. Yay! I love it. Cool. And I think it's so incredible that you've created Albert's List. I mean, obviously, that's probably changed the lives of thousands, hundreds of, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people. I believe throughout the course of its existence, it will. So, um, I'm curious why the different communities, why Bay Area versus Texas, and how did you build that from scratch? I mean, obviously, <laughs> the story is incredible. You started as like a hobby, and now it's a movement. Yeah. So uh, number one was a lot of people back in the normal days, they they lived in different regional pockets. And so each region has its own uh, has its own economy. And so being able to uh, being able to uh, have that was good in being able to uh, have their own local culture. And so nowadays, now that it's um, now that everyone's remote, it's not as useful. But once COVID-19 ends, I think a lot of companies are going to go back to being in person. And so being local is going to be really, really important. Even though we're a lot more productive when we're in person, I think you're also going to have a lot of companies that want to have that in-person personality so that you can build that trust and that knowledge between people. Now, as far as building the community, uh, Albert's List has been built entirely from, I would say, scratch over the last eight years. Uh, We use Facebook groups as our jumping off point. And a lot of our, a lot of our, our entire community has been built organically. It's been just being able to share a lot of value and then friends inviting other friends and that becoming sort of a snowball effect over time. And so while we've shared some of ourselves on Twitter, on Facebook and over email lists and what have you, uh, it is the success of our group that really comes with um uh, that really comes with the fact that a lot of the people who have come into our group have seen their own success stories and want to share those success stories with other people. 
Very cool. Do you have any reason for its growth? I mean, did anything take off or click or did you get mentioned somewhere or was it just one member at a time daily? I like to think that it's just a lot of one member at a time daily. And then as I go out there and I speak at different events, different podcasts, there are people who also join the group by way of that as well. Very cool. I have to rewind for a minute too and ask you, you mentioned like in-person versus at-home productivity. Yeah. Do you feel that there is a difference? I definitely think that there's a difference. Uh, if you're doing individual contributor work like myself, I feel like at-home work is a lot better because you're able to do a lot of that work one-on-one -on -one, and it's fairly easy to get all that kind of work done uh, without the distractions and the interruptions from other people. I think on the other hand, if you're somebody who is working in person with other people, uh, then it is a little bit harder because you want to be able to see who you're working with and be able to walk over to people and talk to those people on a regular basis. But I really think it just depends on who these individuals are and and uh, and what they uh, and what they want to accomplish. I like that. Yeah, for me, I mean, one hundred percent. I'm much more productive at home. I feel because yeah. of that. Like the constant office interruptions are there, but who knows? It probably depends on the role and all of that kind of stuff. I'm curious yeah. to see the productivity levels. If there's any stats on it at the end of 2020. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. Yes. Yeah, we'll know for sure this year. It will prove. <laughs> Very cool. So um, in terms of the group, do you have any wild success stories of people who have found their dream job and um, spoken about it? Or conversely, have you heard any disaster stories like interview faux pas, etc.? You know, we get a lot of anonymous asks where a lot of people offer their uh, their interview their their interview stories, their job hunt stories, and there's not really one that stands out. Um, but there was one that I did get recently where somebody had said that uh, due to COVID they had to travel home to go and see their family member, and they forgot that they had to put. Um, they had to apply for PTO. They just literally flew flew out, they left, and when they got back, they realized that they had lost their job and that uh, the company had, uh, had terminated them and hired someone else in their place. And they were asking whether they could get their job back or not. And so... Those are those are those are things that we get on a regular basis within our community. It's uh, it's really interesting to see because you do have the understanding that you know maybe you've had a bad day, but there might be someone out there who had a day that was much much worse than yours. And so there's always a lot of gratitude that comes out of that for me because while you know I feel for them, I'm glad that it's not me that's going through that, but it's also a lesson for a lot of people who get to see what's going on in the community. Uh, now, as far as success stories, I mean, we have we have recruiters from all the Bay Area companies hanging out in our group on a regular basis. Uh, I know I, I I don't know that there's like a main success story, but I do know that people have been hired at companies like Tesla, Google, Seagate, GoPro, um, Twitter. And, you know, all sorts of different companies that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten access to had they not come into the group. And so being able to give people who are thinking like, oh, yeah, you know, I've never worked at Google, but now I have an interview with Google, even if it's for a contract role because of this community is really a tickling sensation because it, you're, you're get, we're giving access to people uh, who otherwise may not have it when it comes to their professional experience. That's beautiful. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I'm really interested in um, 
like man's search for meaning and Viktor Frankl talks about how to have a love affair with your career. And um, once you get past the money, like you said, a lot of it is about that sense of empathy and helping other people is really what can mark a satisfied day. Um, yeah. It's full of purpose. And I feel like you've really cornered the market on life meaning by doing this group, which is cool. So I love it. And then in terms of the community itself, how do you make this a business model? Like how do you pivot as this incredible business founder from a Facebook group into a business? How does that work? Yeah. So we, we, we do a lot of uh, business to business and business to consumer work. And so uh, some of the things that we're starting that we're, that we've, that we've been doing have been, uh, paid event ticket sales. And so that's been a small part of our business. Uh, corporate sponsorship is another big piece of it. So as companies start to hire again, we're looking to create more of those opportunities for companies to come in and sponsor and build influence with us as they look to hire more people. And then as we head into 2021 here, uh, I'm building a uh, boot camp course, both for people who want to learn how to find a job on demand, and then also for people who needed a job yesterday and are looking to increase their opportunities uh, for the next uh, for, for for the next seven to eight weeks. So we have an eight week boot camp that will be live weekly, and so we've tested the live weekly boot camp. Uh, where people are able to go through some of the content that I've created and over an eight-week span be able to increase significantly the level of attention that they're getting from companies that are looking to hire as well as interview opportunities. And this was actually spearheaded by one of our moderators within our community. He himself has lost his job in August. Uh, he was a part of a COVID layoff. And so as moderator of the group, he thought, you know what, I'm going to go and check out one of these documents that Albert's created on a seven-week job search challenge. I had one of those. And so he followed it for seven weeks. And lo and behold, um, a month and a half later, he was actually in a new job. And so this sparked this whole thought that, you know, maybe there's, maybe, maybe there's a business element out of this that we can build into something more. And so over the last four or five months, we've been entertaining cohorts around this seven to eight week job search. And in 2021, we're going to monetize it and open seats up for people who want to pay money to be a part of it, knowing that there have been success stories in the past. Very cool. I love that story. And you have a great story like that yourself, right? Like I think you managed to just hop from one job to the other in the <laughs> fastest way. How did you do that? I, you know, it's 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 being able to apply a lot of those elements of that mm. seven week job search, which is, you sure. know, knowing to reach out to recruiters, uh, being able to always have your brand on, uh, being in touch with people who have access to jobs, and then being able to stay agile and stay nimble in the job search process. I fortunately and unfortunately have had the opportunity to be laid off, fired, and let go multiple times in my life up to this point, uh, both as a reason of because, you know, I'm either really bad at my job or because the business just necessitated that I'm let go. And so being able to be agile and nimble and understanding of what could happen next is a really big piece of being able to be a good job seeker. And it's something that at least, you know, in the Bay Area, everyone becomes over time because of their experience with a job market that is always just so fluid. 
I dig that. And that was one of the things that really resonated with me in your group. So as a social media consultant, I obviously really appreciate when people are real and vulnerable on the internet. I think that's more interesting. There's more to learn. And that's something that I saw somebody going through in your group. I think they'd been fired and they were sad and scared and stressed and didn't know how to handle it, didn't know how they were going to talk about it in their other um, job interviews. And that's something nobody likes to talk about, right? Nobody likes to put their failures out there, but you do. And I think that's pretty cool. But what would you recommend to somebody in that situation? Yeah, you know, in 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 the seven week job search that we talk about, we the first the first thing that we tell people to do is to you know take a first couple of days in your week zero to cool off. You know, for a lot of people, getting laid off or getting fired for the very first time is one of these super stressful moments that they never thought that they would have to experience in their life. To have someone come in, sit you down, or forcefully wheel you in into a conference room and say, "Hey." your role is no longer available due to reasons A, B, and C, or today we're terminating you because of A, B, and C, doesn't feel good. And it's a very, it's a, it's a situation that just rewires your brain on them in the moment, because number one, you're getting broken up with, you're getting rejected. And number two, your main means of economic survival is being disrupted. And so for a lot of people on Albert's List, what we've done is uh, we've created a culture in our community of being kind and compassionate to one another. So when somebody does actually write that post and they're willing to be upfront and open about how they feel, a lot of people come to their support because a lot of people in our community have also been laid off and fired before. And so they understand what it is that you have to do and what it is that you're going through. And then the other piece of it is uh, understanding that when you are in that type of situation, there are next steps that you have to take, whether that's uh, applying for healthcare or whether that is updating your LinkedIn, your resume and reaching out to recruiters, or even just as simple as filing for unemployment. Right after all of that stuff happens, right, you need to be able to um, you need to be able to, uh, to, 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 to rise again. And so having those simple, easy wins, you know, calling unemployment is a simple, easy win to help you get to that next level is going to really help you uh, figure out what it is that you can do next for yourself. And so those are all things that we talk about in our seven week search that has brought a lot of clarity to job seekers who are like, yeah, I needed a job yesterday, but I'm so overwhelmed by the entire process. What do I do? Putting them in that controlled, systemized environment and saying, hey, these are the next steps that you can take is a real game changer for a lot of job seekers. I think that's wonderful. I mean, that it's such a tough time. I can tell you one of my stories because I think it's important mm-hmm. to share. But um, yeah. my very first job ever, I was in Los Angeles. And I, like I said, I was working for free to kind of get these connections. And I, I was a mm-hmm. hostess at Wood Ranch Steakhouse. And I got this day job as a social media like assistant. Or no, I think I started as the receptionist. Mm-hmm. And they liked what I did with social media. So they promoted me. And then, and I was so excited, I quit my night job because I had a day job and a night job to pay the bills. And I was so excited. I didn't quit right away either because I was nervous. This is 2009. Um, So I kind of like 
did both for a while and then finally was like, that's it. I've been promoted. I've made it. I'm quitting the night job. And I did. <laughs> and then the stock market shook again. An investor pulled out and they oh. like laid me off and the receptionist who had replaced that job on the, on the same day. And it was so rough. I was, I had no idea what to do because I was so new to the whole world at that time. Um, oh, but it was yeah. really crushing and it stayed with me since. Like I've never felt secure in a day job for that reason because it's this one single income. Whereas yeah. I found when I was a consultant, at least I had multiple clients and they would, you know, come and go. So I don't know, how, do, how does one recover? I still have scars from, from that kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, I would say 10 years on being laid off multiple times, the scars are definitely there. And so you definitely have to think about yourself um, a lot going forward in that, you need to know what your plan B, C, D, and E are. Uh, you need to have an understanding of what what uh, what's going on with your role and whether you are replaceable or not, and being able to work to that role, um, no matter what it is. And then I would ultimately say, if you can find yourself multiple streams of income, or always be exploring it so that you can pivot quickly. So having that level of pivoting is really going to help you get to that next level, right? So whether you're looking at drop shipping, which is the flavor of the month, you know, for a lot of people these days, or doing consulting work on the side as a side hustle, or selling things on eBay or whichever, all of those things bring into account the possibilities of what it is out there. And one of the things that school never teaches you is that there are so many more opportunities than the nine to five that exist out there today. And so opening your eyes to all the possibilities is a really great way to start. I love that. And you're the example of that for sure, in terms of like how you're doing your cool night night business. <laughs> night business, yeah. Night business, we'll call it, yeah. <laughs> night business. <laughs> yes, that's what I call mine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's a perfect segue into this question I have, which is what is an, what seems like a failure or apparent failure in your life actually set you up for success later? And mm -hmm. you were glad that that happened. Thank goodness, because it opened a whole new opportunity for you. Yeah, I would say that uh, I would say that uh, getting laid off and fired so many times early in my career has contributed to my success now because it allows people whom I serve to understand uh, that I relate to them and that I understand the pain and suffering that they're going through. And further than that, it's also made me a lot more of a resilient person because I know what to do next when it comes to job searching, job hunting, and really being able to move and move quickly. I get that, you know, for a lot of job seekers that losing, losing your job that one time feels like the world is falling on top of you and collapsing. For me, sometimes, depending on the state of the economy, at least, uh, job searching feels like it's the opportunity to now be free and then now go do some really cool things and have a lot of really cool conversations and go out and really hustle and be that salesperson almost to sometimes where it makes me feel hmm, maybe I could go and do sales, but not quite. Um, because I don't want to be on like that, like all day long, because I think it would just make me so wired. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I would say would be my greatest success when it comes to, comes to that. Yeah. I really like that. That's something that I've sort of been learning too is like respect. I don't like the word hustle because I think it's uh, a little overused, but respect the hustle when it comes to trying to like 
pound the pavement, reach out to people, be really active about it. Like send a thank you note after your interview, follow up a couple of times. For me, I hire people a lot for my business. And sometimes it's the person that can get through the noise because I'm so inundated. So obviously there's a fine line between being a stalker and getting creepy, but it's okay Mm -hmm. to be proactive. Um, And I, as a shy person, have to get over that as well. So also just in terms of the nitty gritties, I've got to throw this out there. Um, One of my friends, and I need to tell him, he has a open and looking for work headline on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think of this? Because I've gotten advice. I have contrarian advice potentially to what you might think. Do you think you should plaster it on your headline? LinkedIn? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm I'm for the opening yourself up to others, uh, other for recruiters to reach out to you on the back end. But I don't know that I believe in advertising yourself just so wide open like that, where it's plastered in your profile picture. Um, I think that there's a lot more interesting and more effective ways to job search before becoming so public like that. And so my own personal opinion is that people who are looking for a job uh, should not be so outwardly like that to begin with. And as they move, uh, move into their job search to really look closely and look really hard for a good six months before doing something like that. That's good to know. Yeah. I mean, the advice I've been given is uh, you should just have whatever position you're looking for as your headline and skip the currently available for work portion and just allow that to kind of be a function in the back end. But I guess we're aligned on that one. I thought you might have a different opinion. What about somebody who's been on the market now for like eight months? I think I everyone's been there in these dips of the economy where you're just on the market forever and you feel like you're not finding anything. Um, is there anything that you see people doing wrong in these situations or is there a way to correct course? Yeah, so I, I would say that it's important to reflect upon what it is that you've done in over the last eight months if you've been job, jobless. And it may be time at that point to hire someone like a career coach to understand your situation. Um, and so when it comes to, and so when it comes to uh, really going through that, I mean, I would say at the end of the eight months, you don't necessarily need to put up the uh, looking for work badge as much as you need to be understanding, like, how are you networking with the contacts within your network? Number two, is your resume conveying you in the right way or are you selling yourself short? Number three, if you've had any interviews, what's gone well about those interviews and what hasn't gone well? Is it time to do a mock interview to see how you're doing? Number four, how's your personal brand? Um, and how are you conveying yourself out there? You know, are you a firebrand on Twitter commenting on everything the president is doing or are you just not even on social media at all? Uh, number five, I would probably uh, I would probably look at the uh, volume of jobs that you're looking at. If you've been looking for your dream job and only your dream job for the last eight months, that might be a reason why you don't have a job yet because you're either not qualified for that job or there are not enough volume, not enough amounts of your dream job in order for your dream job to be out there. And so for that last one, I always tell people, you know, you need to have like an A through D list of different jobs that you want. And for me, right, that's always been something like I look for product marketing roles, content marketing roles, social media marketing roles, God forbid. And I don't want to go back to that, but maybe maybe if I have to, then I have to. Um, then there might be solutions marketing roles, uh, entry-level HR, 
um, digital marketing, you know, and so that's already six jobs right there. And so your mileage will always vary. But when it comes to when it comes to being eight months in, if you've been only looking for two jobs in the same way over the last eight months, that's there's there's probably something that needs to change. And so um, and so there's, it's, it's always different with every single job seeker and you really have to, uh, you really have to dig deep and understand why and what's going on. Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. Well, is there any, um, final advice that you would like to leave the audience with? Ooh, you know, I think thoughts? the advice that I gave was the advice that I gave earlier and that's, uh, to not be one of those professionals that sits on their couch in a bit of quiet desperation because you spent your entire life selling yourself short and not being able to articulate what it is that you do. The more reflection you do, the more that you step back and look at your uh, accomplishments with gratitude and understanding what you do in terms of how you impact the world, the sooner you will find the opportunities that are meant for you. And until you do that, you're probably going to be in a lot of pain. So do that. Mm, I love that. And then what is the biggest investment that you've made? And it can be, you know, in time, energy, learning in yourself. It can be Bitcoin. Mm. It can be college. It can be something weirder like meditation that you've yeah. made in your life. Uh, I would say in the last year, it's been the spin bike that I'm sitting to the left of, to the right of right now. Nice. Um, you got in on Peloton. Yeah, I got in. I have a DIY Peloton, but you know, still Peloton nonetheless. I biked about 400 miles last year. I'm gunning for 1500 in 2021. So that was, uh, that was a really good spend of money and good investment there. So yeah. I love it. Air high five. Air high five. Woo. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I love it. And I think we kind of went over like what advice you would give to somebody graduating high school and like getting into the job market mm-hmm. for the first time. Is there any bad advice out there you hear that people need to ignore? Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's the whole thing about uh, how many pages your resume should be. Mm. I know some people say that there should be one. Other people say that it should be two. I think your resume should be as long as it needs in order for you to tell the story that you need to be able to tell um, to paint yourself as somebody who's qualified. Uh, I would also say that uh, the that there's a lot of advice out there. And so it's important to be able to curate your own advice and understand what's good and what's not good. And so to be able to really read between the lines upon that advice is really important. Um, and I would say, I think maybe the most controversial piece of advice that I'd say is not very good is following your passion because sometimes following your passion may not necessarily pay the bills. Uh, you definitely need to, uh, you definitely need to be mindful of how you spend your time and what you spend your time on in order to be the most productive. I like that. Oh, gosh. I mean, that brings up a question I just have to ask you because there's kind of two schools of thought. There's the follow your passion, find what you love school. And then there's the you go do something and then you get good at it and then you become passionate about it school. Do you live in either camp or do you kind of straddle the line? Do I believe in going to school or not? No, no, no. Okay. So there's a school of thought of people who think you should follow your bliss Mm -hmm. and what like what you love. And then there's the school of thought of people who think you are don't bother with that. You need to like go get good at something and then you'll find yourself becoming passionate about it as you become good at it. Do you have any um, thought either way? Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a really, really good question. 
Um, I think that if you are good at what you're good at, you're probably going to be passionate about it and that people should definitely be a lot more patient and they should also understand what are the options that are available out there, right? Like I would have loved to work for a sports team growing up, but you know, on the other hand, there are so many other opportunities out there, right? Like we grow up understanding that people can be scientists, lawyers, doctors, engineers, but we never really ask ourselves like the full question of like, what are all the things that are available out there? And so being more open than I think being more passion-based, I think will really help you uh, find the results that you want to find. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, that is some sort of the tragedy because as a kid, I knew there was like acting, you could be in a movie, you could be president. I didn't know the many other crazy careers there are out there um, that people should check out. Uh, I love it. Okay, great. And then I would say my uh, question for you as somebody who has a day job and runs your own business is how do you stay focused and productive? How do you get stuff done? I write down everything that I do. And I try to keep a running log of what I've accomplished, both big and small, every single day. Um, so that when I look back at the end of the day, I know I've actually done something with my day. And so having everything visualized uh, is, uh, is, is, uh, is the key, at least for me to understanding and seeing my productivity. Beautiful. I love that. Like, do you just write down your accomplishments or do you record what you're doing every 15 minutes? Um, I do both. Okay. Yeah, I do cool. both. Cool. Really? Keeps, Every 15 minutes? That's awesome. Uh, 15 to, yeah, it really depends on what I'm doing, but yeah, quite that's often. That's great. I'm supposed to keep a 15-minute journal this week, and I have not. Um, mm. So if you have any tips on like how to be aware of every 15 minutes, go write it down. I'm open. Yeah. Cool. Great. And then what would you say in the past five years, what belief, behavior, habit has most impacted your life for the better that you've developed? Mm. I would say it's to show up and show up with value. Uh, and there's a lot of ways to define value um, in in one's life. And so for me, that's being able to uh, show up, be a good listener, uh, have impact, you know, for other people, and then be able to, uh, and then be able to leave people better than I found them. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it so much. Well, thank you, Albert, for taking the time. Uh, where can people find you? What is your, how can we get in touch or get on board your tribe of people? Yeah, so they can, they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, they can find me on, uh, on Albert's List, which is on my Facebook group, bit.ly slash find your next job, all one word. Um, yeah, or they could find me on Twitter. I guess I tweet a little bit more these days too, uh, at A-L-B-E-R-T-Q-I-A-N, all one username. Um, yeah, and if you if you did find me through this podcast, just let me know when we connect so that we can have a, uh, have a relevant conversation. I loved everything that we learned from Albert today, and I actually have a few tips of my own I'm excited to include. So let's just recap what we learned. Number one, start with your purpose. So what do you hope to contribute to the world? How do you enjoy helping other people? This sounds cliche, and the idea of this drove me crazy for years until I found myself the profitable business owner of a business I wasn't passionate about. And so sometimes you just want to find out, would you do something for free? If you would, and you shouldn't long-term, but if you would, that probably means that that is something that you are passionate and excited about. 
I highly recommend this really excellent resource called What Color Is Your Parachute? It's the job book that launched my career. I wouldn't be where I am today without it. So definitely check out that book. It's a counterintuitive approach. Instead of teaching you how to get a job, which it does do, it also teaches you how to go inward to understand what you're great at, what you love to do, how that overlaps. And it also helps you fish out some of your most valuable skills that you might not be aware of what they are, which leads me to number two. What value are you bringing to the table? And, you know, I think that was one of the main things that Albert and I talked about that was really important. Don't sell yourself short. You have to learn how to sell yourself. And that's just a really key attribute. So whether that means showing other people your resume, doing mock interviews, and making sure there's a third, a second or third party who's observing your amazing qualities and can help you understand the value you're bringing to the table. It might also mean doing a deep dive yourself and looking back and really deeply reflecting on what you have actually accomplished, what you actually are capable of. Uh, so that's really key. And then anytime you can tie that back to monetary contribution because the money that you receive in your salary is a reflection of the value that you've brought to the table. And if you're able to go into an interview and demonstrate that value, you are going to be farther ahead than 80% of job seekers out there. So, and then number three, we kind of covered this, but again, sell yourself. What, how are you going to impact your employer's bottom line? How are you solving their problem? What are the problems that they currently have? So be empathetic, put yourself in that other person's position and of course, it's always really key to have a portfolio of online accomplishments, uh, a LinkedIn profile that showcases all of those things. So don't hesitate to be on brand and really talk yourself up because no one else is going to do it for you. Uh, and number four, understand the game being played around you, as Ramit Sethi would say, which is you want to speak strategically if you have been laid off. Uh, there's a couple of ways to to phrase that that are a little, a little bit more diplomatic. Never speak ill of your past employers, um, you know, and also f- figure out your story. What is your hero's journey of your career? What, where have you been? Where are you going? And why do you want to be there? Um, so that's really critical. And also check your online presence. I coach people on this. So feel free to reach out if you feel like there could be an issue. But are you a firebrand on Twitter? Are you highly political on social media? Are there some college photos of you doing cake stands that are 10 years old that maybe could be wiped away from the internet? So just kind of remember that. And then I think a really key part of playing the game is staying agile and nimble and understanding your rights as an employee. So if you're a contractor, uh, there's not a lot of job stability in that. So always kind of just be aware, be on brand, be looking for the next opportunity in networking. And then five, ask for help. So find your champion in another company that can you know, vouch for you and pass your resume along. That way you can bypass those gatekeepers. That's always really helpful and really key, especially when you're further along in your career and you have some of those networks. If you don't have that network, definitely time to check out, you know, Facebook groups. Albert's List is a great resource. Go on LinkedIn, uh, try to hook up with Zoom meetings that happen. And, you know, if you can't afford to go to a conference, one of my favorite tips is to actually volunteer at a conference. So 
you get to attend for free. You get to help up, help out. You have an excuse to meet a lot of attendees and hire up speakers if you're managing them backstage and helping as volunteers. So that's a really great way to kind of make new connections and meet new people. And then number six, which I have already sort of touched upon, is have a plan B, C, D, E, which is to say, again, job markets can be tumultuous. It's never a bad idea to be kind of um, just have like an ear to the ground about opportunities, growth potential within, and then try to build some side revenue. You'll notice that Albert has a day job and a night job. I'm sad to say that's the world and the economy we live in. If only we could all just have jobs and that would be great. Um, But a lot of my net worth, I would say, is from building side hustles. And I'm going to be podcasting a lot about this this year. I'm excited, which is selling books, creating an online course, starting an Etsy store, uh, even dabbling in investments like real estate. So there's a thousand and one ways to make that extra side income. And the more streams of revenue and profit you have in the business that is you, the more successful you'll be and the more confident you will be in your day job. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Money Self Made. We love that you watch. Thank you so much. Remember to click subscribe. Remember to like this video if you're watching on video. And we hope to see you again. Next week's episode is going to be really cool. We're going to be talking about some of those side hustles that I went over in this episode.